Welcome, Justin Fellows, gorgeous Maya therapist and all-round good guy. So, Justin, this is the second time you've been with us on Good Health Radio. What a privilege. Welcome. Thanks again so much for having me. I've never been introduced as uh, gorgeous before. <laughs> it's, <laughs> your, it. it's your personality. You're just vibrant. <laughs> Hilarious. Well, physical, not so much. No, don't be silly. <laughs> so funny. So you're a myotherapist. So we spoke last time about what myotherapist means, and I still yes. can't get my head around it totally. Yeah. But it's working on the muscles and soft tissues in the body. Is that correct? Yeah, pretty much. I probably gave you more of a textbook answer last time, but essentially – we're the go-to therapists when you have muscle issues. We're, we're the ones you want to see for sure. Oh, fantastic. And that makes a lot of sense now, much more sense to me. As a myotherapist, yes. in most industries, techniques change, like the focus changes. Does that happen with myotherapy? And how do you keep up to date with your techniques and your ways of treating people? Yeah, it's, it's probably the best and worst thing about anything health industry related. Obviously, there's, there's research changing every single day. Annoyingly for us as therapists, uh, Dr. Google is the best and worst thing in the world. Yeah. You know, 95% of our clients will self-diagnose everything before they come into the clinic, which is great fun. But in this, in the, the flip side of that, it keeps you on your toes. Um, as therapists, obviously, as part of our association and our registration, we need to do continual education to make sure we're up to scratch and um, we're keeping all our, our insurances up to scratch. But on a professional level, it's something I like to do anyway. Um, just just two nights ago, I was doing an, an online course. It was only a couple of hours online, but so much of what I learned in uni 10 years ago is considerably different now just through the new research and the new changes and everything they've done with research. So stuff changes all the time. It's the best and worst thing, but it, it definitely keeps you on your toes as a therapist to continue to learn and uh, make sure that the information you're giving your clients, the education you're doing to your clients as long as, as well as your treatments is relevant and uh, up to date. Yeah, how annoying is Dr. Google? Like we all get obsessed with it all the time. It's so ridiculous. But for you as a therapist, I imagine yeah. that someone's coming in saying, I've got a rotator cuff issue or this is what's wrong with me or this is what's wrong, fix this. For and sure. How does that feel? <laughs> well, it's, um, it's, it's, it's good and bad. Like I said, sometimes they've done the homework and they can be really great with what information they've given you because they've looked into their own issues so much. The challenging part can be is when you come in and they're just off the mark. <laughs> so they might come in and go, Jazz, I know what it is. It's my rotator cuff. I've done X, Y, and Z. And that's probably maybe a secondary or a third issue. And the root cause is something completely different. So when you have your treatment, uh, you might be adding a little bit of what they think it is but primarily what you need to do is work on something completely different. So it can be a little challenging, especially getting them to grasp the concept of, look, that's something, but this is more important. So it's running on that fine line to make sure, you know, you, you're doing the treatment, which is going to be best for the client, but you can't disregard what they know they think it is um, because, you know, we all know best. So true. <laughs> people don't like to be told. <laughs> no, we don't like to be told, do we? We think we know the best. So that would be, that's something that's intrigued me always, heat or ice. So is that something mm. that's changed in the last few years? Look, I would say the research um, has certainly changed or maybe not so much the research, but certainly how people apply things differently. Certainly back in my day, I I'm sure you'd probably got taught the same thing, but you know, high school, you injured something, you chucked ice on it. That was the yep. go-to. Yep. 
it's not so much anymore. The more we know about the body, um, but this is a very, very conflicting topic. So depending on which therapist you get, depends what answer you'll get. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, the, the school, the uni I went to many, many moons ago was a traditional Chinese medicine school in a lot of ways, a natural school. So their train of thought was more towards heat more often. It's something mm. that the body would apply or give more heat for a particular reason. And the Chinese medicine side of things, and someone can correct me if I'm definitely wrong because it's not my field of expertise, but if the body's giving it heat, give it more heat. Wow. So when we're inflamed, they actually normally put more heat on it rather than, rather than the ice approach. Now, in the myotherapy world, there's areas where you'd heat and areas where you ice, and it's very particular on the injury and particular things and outcomes. It's one of the, I'm not going to give an answer, yeah. <laughs> but... The food for thought out is out there. It's a lot different to what it used to be. Definitely hot, heat, ice. It's a whole new world out there. Wow, that's fascinating. Because, yeah, Chinese medicine, I'm, I've looked into that a lot through yoga and the meridian mm. lines and that theory. So that's very interesting because I dislocated my ankle and it was swollen and it was hot and I iced the <laughs> whatever out of it. So, <laughs> so, yeah, that's a really interesting way to look at it, a very different way of looking at it. Well, yeah, if it's something like a swollen ankle, for me, I would say if mobility needs to be increased, you'd ice to obviously reduce uh. the swelling and get mobility back. But at the same time, if you're icing, then the blood, the blood, the new oxygen, the new nutrients, it's all not coming to that area. So the repair process is slowed. So you've really got to take into to, to account all these different factors to before you apply either heat or, or ice. Yeah. Well, mind blown. Totally. <laughs> so tell me, Justin, most interesting client. Do mm. you get some people in that are just super interesting and you, you just get spun out by them? Yeah. I've had, you know, about 10, 11 years into the industry and you see a, a good a good vast range of people from old to young to this to that. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of scope out there and I'm fortunate enough to see a lot over my time, but probably the most interesting, rather than say one client, the most interesting group of clients I had was probably in my earlier years. I had about a six-month stint working with a drug and rehab clinic, what? and yeah, as part of their uh, the process, as part of all of the the program they were in, I guess I'm not too understanding of the program itself, but my aspect of it was help them with my therapy and massage and. As much as it didn't tick the box so much of being complicated with injuries, as part of their program and their rehab, it was really, really interesting because they had some, as you can understand, some very interesting stories to tell. So wow. that was probably a rather than one client. It was six months of really, really unique and confronting stories. Yeah. That is so fascinating. I was teaching um, at an alcohol recovery program too, and I find their stories fascinating, these gorgeous people. Yeah. Um, Look, they're, they're crazy. I mean, not not crazy in the sense that they're, they're crazy in the sense that their stories are amazing and they've come to the next the next chapter in their life and they're past that, but they're willing to share. And part of the program is obviously conversing and telling these stories and credit to them. Um, they're amazing. They've been through a lot more than I've ever been through. Yeah, it's intense. Their lives have been definitely very intense. Mm. So what then would be the, well, the most common injuries that you see? Uh, look, I do see a lot of head and neck issues, mainly because of society, the factors these days where a lot of clients are on their desk, on their phones, on technology of some sort. So head and neck coupled with lower back injuries or lower back issues are probably the most common things I see come through the doors 
you know, would say 80% of my clients would say they have one, if not both of those issues. So very, very common. So I guess too, in this time of working from home, kids working at home in Victoria, the time of COVID. So specifically, I guess, is it postural? Is that what we're talking about? Hugely. Yeah. Postural and and long-term. So obviously when we have our normal, let's say normal lives in quotations back in pre, pre-COVID days, traditionally speaking, your, your structure is very different. When you're at home, you're adapting and you're making things work that aren't normal. So your desk stations, your homework stations, whatever it may be, are considerably different. So your postural changes are normally, let's say normally because most people I've been speaking with are much worse. You're making do rather than having a setup that's designed for something. So, yep. you know, kids are on their laptop in their beds for six hours a day rather than at a desk perfectly aligned and making it all work very nicely. And credit to them, they're doing the right thing. They're trying to tick off mum and dad, I'm doing the right thing. But six hours of homework, lying down in a bed, between your back, your neck, your shoulders, everything's out of whack. It's horrible. <laughs> it's it's so interesting because I I didn't think that I had been doing more sitting down, but I obviously have been. I was speaking to an osteo the other day and I've got yes. a lot of issues with my neck, my shoulders. It's really creaky, crunchy, and I'm in quite a bit of pain. Mm. And I think I stretch a bit. Um, of course. <laughs> for at least four times a week for an hour, I stretch. Yeah. Yep. So I'm thinking, oh, you know, I'm doing the right thing. But he's saying to me it's perhaps stress, stress related to holding and stress related to my diaphragm being really tight. Have you ever heard of holding and being tight from stress? Yeah, definitely. Well, firstly, I'll say amazing you're doing a lot more exercise or stretching than, uh, than the everyday <laughs> person there. So you're ticking some good boxes Thank there. you, Jazz. <laughs> Um, second, yeah, definitely diaphragmatic breathing and, and even breathing in general. Obviously, you'd see it a lot through your yoga practices, but it's something I would say most people on my table get it wrong. Mm. <laughs> I think we, we all breathe, but we all breathe wrong. And the natural coil of the spine, your vertebrae, if you're breathing well, this all coils very, very nicely and, and moves very, very nicely. When you're not, it doesn't. And obviously, that has adverse effects with your postures and pain, which is obviously what you're experiencing right now. Yeah. So with the diaphragm, Mm. how do you breathe properly? I know I'm a chest breather because I'm anxious and that triggers like a whole lot of other things in the body when you don't breathe properly. But how do you breathe properly into the diaphragm? (laughs) So a good lecturer many, many moons ago told me one really simple thing. So we could talk about breathing for hours on end. I'm sure you'd get way more excited and get into it too. (laughs) Traditionally, when you're on the table, I'll have hands palpating different areas and get someone to breathe through some particular activities. But a simple rule of thumb, and this is what the lecturer told me a long time ago, was you would breathe like you're filling up a glass. So when you're pouring that water in, you're breathing from the bottom. So you're talking about the belly. You put your hands in your belly, you fill it up there. Then the second aspect is your chest breathing. So you're kind of filling up that water. It goes from the top, the bottom to the middle, fill up that chest. And then the third part being your shoulders into your neck. So you're filling up that water, that glass, that third part. So you break it down into three parts, put your hands in the belly, hands in the chest, hands in the shoulders. And when you breathe out, you do it the same, same as you're pouring that glass out. So if you were emptying it, you'd empty from the top, middle to the bottom. So it's a bit of a process. And like I said, it takes a lot of training to get it right. But if you think about it, you break it down into three simple parts, breathe into the belly, into the chest, into the shoulders. That's the best rule of thumb I can teach most of my clients. now. You might have it completely different, so definitely correct me if, uh, 
if your your oh. teachings are very different. Me? Oh, no, no, I'm listening to you. I'm learning. <laughs> That's, um, look, it's a, it's a general rule of thumb that I can get people to do without having to show them any visuals. You can kind of tell them to breathe like that. And generally speaking, they can get better at breathing. And then once they get excited by it, they want to learn more. And that's when we go into a bit more depth about it. Yep. Thank you, Jazz. You're on Good Health Radio with Kylie Roger. We're speaking to Justin Fellows about all things myotherapy and fitness. Coming back to that, Justin, breathing, I find it such a drag, seriously, (laughs) focusing on my breath. Like I know as a yoga teacher, it's one of the most important things and I know it regulates the limbic system. You can turn on the rest, restore and heal response in the body with the breath. You can turn on the vagus nerve, the compassion nerve that really turns down inflammation and turns up the immune system. But to find time to breathe properly is Mm. a challenge. What advice can you give? So I would say a similar thing to when I prescribe stretches to people. Um, It's one of those things, obviously, if someone is outcome orientated, they're going to be better or if they're excited by the outcome, they're going to be better at doing the process to get there. So for me, with it, whether it's stretching, whether it's breathing, whether it's fix, fixing posture, whatever it might be, um, if they're goal-orientated and they're excited by the outcome and you can paint that picture of what the outcome can be by doing something minimal, I find that my clients are more engaged by doing the activity that I might prescribe them. So when it comes to something like a breathing exercise, if, if my clients are stressed and they have poor posture, I can kind of paint that picture of it. If you were to get better at A, B or C, that's going to get better. And if you can kind of get that picture into their head, I find the results come a little bit more from that. Obviously, it's hard though. Clients, uh, you know, complacency is very challenging Hmm. (laughs) and they may not see breathing as their number one thing. I think breathing is a really, really challenging thing for me to get correct with my clients because as you said, then we'll do it and, but everything else comes first. So it is very, very challenging with the breathing. (laughs) Yeah, because I know my mindset sometimes is I just want to go and get fixed so that I have to breathe differently. I've been doing that for 43 years. Yeah. Look, you hit the nail on the head there. I think it comes down to education for myself with my clients, giving them that expectation from day one that everything is a process. You know, like you said, people have injuries and they expect to come in and go, cool, I'll I'll leave here and I'll be fine. (laughs) So it comes down to a treatment plan, education and being realistic. So like I said, choosing what's the most important things in their list, whether it is A, B or C, and then prioritizing and working backwards from there. Tell me, how do you, Justin Fellows, because you're such a jolly fellow, <laughs> hilarious, how do you stay positive all the time? How do you mentally do this? Like, what are your tips on staying on top mentally? Look, I'm, I'm definitely human. You can definitely ask my partner. She would tell you that this, this chirpy voice you're hearing now is probably not my everyday voice. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly switch it on when I'm in the clinic more than I am at home. But look, I think it's a, it's a mindset and it comes down to, again, that, that want, like we were saying before. For me, I'm, I'm trying my best throughout this COVID time to keep a routine, trying to trick my brain into thinking that the world isn't falling apart mm-hmm. and focusing on those positives. So one of the biggest things I probably do to keep myself mentally, let's say, fit is uh, my exercise. So despite obviously being restricted to the four walls, I'm attempting to exercise from home or staying in some kind of routine from exercising. Um, but one of the biggest things I probably I probably do most regularly is podcast. Um, mm. I, I love a good podcast. I love a good audio book. So those two things keep me a little bit sane and put things in perspective for me. So 
we can all say our lives are this and that, but there's a lot worse out there. And, you know, hearing these stories of the things that are a lot worse makes your life seem pretty damn good. <laughs> so that's really interesting because I was into podcasts and I've fallen off the wagon, forgotten all about it. Oh, so what podcast? So tell me, what are your favorite? What's your favorite podcast? Oh, geez. I'm not sure if I can put a favorite. Okay. <laughs> who's, who's your favorite? Is there a favorite interviewer you have? Yeah, look, I, I love two, to be honest. I'm a massive Tony Robbins fan. Oh, he's awesome. That. Yeah, he's he goes a lot of salesy stuff, but he is a big picture man and he seems like the most, you know, grateful, the grateful, grateful man. And obviously he's crazily educated. He's amazing at what he does and he speaks to the people at their absolute peak of their prime. So I, I love Tony Robbins. Another similar kind of uh, podcast interviewee is Tim Ferriss. He does a similar thing. I yeah, haven't, haven't sure heard of Tim Ferriss. Yeah. So he'll essentially find a similar thing. He'll find someone who's at their peak of their industry. So it can be anything. It could be entrepreneurs. It could be chefs. It could be sportsmen, anything. And then he'll interview them. So they're true that I go to pretty regularly. I'm pretty new to Osher Ginsberg. Apparently, he's uh, he's pretty good. I just finished his audio book. So I'm, I'm moving on to his podcast now. Yep. But um, yeah, look, those three, those three, those two, for example, they definitely keep me uh, keep me humble. <laughs> There's some recommendations from Justin if you're looking for podcasts. Tim Ferriss and Tony Robbins. I've actually read Tony Robbins, The Giant Within, and a couple of his books when I was at a low ebb in my life. And I do yep, yep. remember that they really helped just to do something every day towards a goal. It's just yeah. keeping one foot in front of the other, keeping moving, which I guess is, is pretty hard for most of us to remember it at these times. Really? I think um, Tony's really, really good at it as well as he's very harsh, as I'm sure you experienced mm. with some of how he talks, but at the same time, he's telling the truth. And if you take it on board, you can make some massive changes. Yeah, really interesting. You're mm. on Good Health Radio with Justin Fellows and Kylie Roger, and we're talking about all things myotherapy and fitness. So Justin, challenging part of your work. Now I know speaking to some friends that are in the care industry, so osteos, remedial massage therapists, and psychologists, that not taking people's problems home with them is sometimes challenging because I know that as someone's on the bed, they're really allowing themselves to be vulnerable to you and maybe mm. letting go of their problems. So what's the most challenging part of your work? Is that part of a challenge? I think definitely so. Um, coming from the fitness industry, working as a PT 15 years ago and then moving into my therapy, not taking the problems on is is a massive challenge you know you'd experience yourself as as a practitioner in in, in the yoga world but people have a lot of problems mm. and you know you build trust you build relationships with these people and they trust you so they confide in you and you know if you're seeing between 8 and 12 different clients a day who you have that really good close connection with they're more than happy to share with you some really deep things and it's a it's a massive challenge i'd say in the in the first few years it was hard to disconnect uh, but then I guess maturity of the industry and myself as a practitioner, you get a little bit better of, of switching it off and leaving it at the door. I think by no particular practices, I think just mentally, I know that to switch off and leave it at that, you know, come home with the good and share those those good stories with your partner. But the rest of it is very important to once that session is finished, not to disregard what's happened, but obviously leave it at the door and not take it on mentally because it becomes really, really challenging. That's amazing. Do you literally, is it like walking out of the work, like across the threshold of the door that that's when it ends? Or do you mentally think to yourself, okay, I'm done for the day. I need to let that go. Is there something you do? I train. You train, <laughs> like physically? Yeah. 
physically. Normally, my switch off to tell myself the work day is done. I'll head straight to the gym after work. I'll train and then I'll head home. So that's kind of me transitioning from the work day into home life. So then by the time you've kind of got, you know, you're back in the car, you've got home in the driveway, your day's done and you're there to talk with your partner, your family, whatever else it may be and back to happy home life. I think it's really important to have that mental switch off. And for me, it's, it's training, which again, during this COVID time is, is a lot more challenging, but I'm not treating. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for me, that, that that's my switch off. Jump in the car, I put my podcast on, <laughs> head to the gym. I'll normally listen to a podcast or a book when I'm at the gym. And okay. then that puts me back into a different mindset. By the time I'm home, hopefully I'm a new happy man. That's amazing. I think I need to listen to podcasts and work out every day too. <laughs> I, I find it difficult definitely to should. switch. Yeah, I'm not sure about our listeners, but I definitely find it difficult to switch between yoga teacher, mum, wife, friend, mm-hmm. um, cleaning the house person, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's a challenge. Yep. So what's what's then what's most rewarding for you about what you do? There must have been a passion in there for something but for you to start all of this. Look, I mean, I think we touched on it a little bit with our first chat there, but fitness came very naturally to myself. Mm-hmm. It was never forced. So when I get to go to the gym or play basketball or do the exercise, for me, it's, it's almost a reward. I'm not sure if my parents conditioned me when I was younger for some reason. Maybe it's stuck in there and it's embedded very deep. But fitness and health for me is a reward. So for me to be able to uh, – it's, it's, a, it's a real treat to be able to finish work and then it's, again, my reward to go to the gym to come home. So – for some, somehow it's embedded within and I find it as a, a really enjoyable experience for me to do those things. That is so cool. I <laughs> wish I'd have had that in my head. I wish I, I struggled to do that, so I wish I had had it in my head. So yeah, our parents did something right. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm talking to you and I'm doing this job, so I'm super, super lucky. <laughs> so tell me, Justin, for people that are working out, so you're obviously very involved with fitness because you used to be a personal trainer. For people working out at the gym, what do they need to do before they start a workout? Is there anything specific they can do to avoid injury? Yeah. Okay. So hugely loaded question. Yep. Loaded. (laughs) So pull apart, pull it apart. (laughs) Pulling it apart. Number one, you need to have a goal. I think it's really Uh important. You've got to go in there with a specific goal, not just I want to lose weight or I want to, you know, get bigger. You have to have a, a number or a target. I want to lose X. I think it's very specific or I want to lift this. I think it is really, really important to have a particular target because like anything in life, if you don't have a target, what, what the heck are you aiming towards? Yeah. Uh, that's the first thing. So I think having that is a number one thing. The second thing there is having some expert advice or at least guidance. So injuries flat out occur in the gym and I see it in my office every single week with people doing the wrong thing, particularly because of lack of education or guidance. So a lot of gyms are great at giving advice and a lot are terrible at it. So if you're serious about your results making changes, seek the advice because a small investment in the initial can save you a lot of money in the, at the back end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would almost always say to someone, spend time, maybe a handful of sessions with a personal trainer or an exercise physiologist, whatever it may be in the start, three sessions there will be cheaper than 10 sessions with me later on. <laughs> really interesting. Yeah, so those those are the two things I would say would be the, yeah, number one, number two, get those done before you join a gym or when you start joining a gym or, or training or whatever it might be. So 
do you actually support people in that? I was thinking, I think I might see a my therapist for them to set me a plan to my goals because <laughs> I don't know. Like I've seen a few personal trainers and one was phenomenal, I must admit, but some of them seem a bit flaky. So how do you know when you've got a good one? I uh, there's, a, there's a few things. You can go with the, the two things I would go towards is one, whatever they have hanging on the wall. Right. So obviously whatever education they have, I think, you know, knowing the industry pretty, pretty darn well to get your cert three and cert four, isn't that challenging? Mm-hmm. Majority of it can be, you know, uh, competency based and a lot of it is online. So a lot of people, let's not disregard the industry too much, but you can get that qualification itself pretty easily. Yep. I would say finding the right therapist, or sorry, the right trainer will be the ones that are doing all these extra courses, not because they have to for their insurances and their registration, but because they want to and they love it. Right. So those are the ones that are going home, opening books, Googling, reading, researching, doing all these extra things, not because they need to for something, because they want to for themselves and then for their clients. So finding those trainers are going to be the ones that are going to get you from not a little change, but a massive change. And they're not just a little health change, but a whole lifestyle change. And they're hard to find. You know, it is a needle in the haystack, but they're out there. And um, I think the best way to find these people is networking through other practitioners. So, again, myself being in the industry for 15 years, I could give you 20 different PTs in all different suburbs and directions. And then, you know, someone can come to myself and I can certainly give them advice. But my expertise, as much as I know that, is myotherapy. So I'd say, look, go to this person. They're great for this. Or that person, they're great for that. So, networking, doing your homework, doing your research. Awesome. So if you'd like to know a personal trainer in Victoria, (laughs) Justin can recommend some. So he's contactable for treatment as a myotherapist, but also for anything you'd like to talk to him about, I'm sure he'd be happy at www.melbmyo.com.au. He's lovely. www.melbmyo.com.au. Now, I just want to ask you last thing. I did give you a heads up. I'm obsessed with quotes. <laughs> quotes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So, one of my favorites is from Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. So, as you allow your light to shine, you unconsciously give permission to others to do the same. Oh, I like it. So, that's one of my favorites. I use that in yoga multiple times a month. Yeah, so I like it. tell me, Jazz, what's your favorite quote? Do you have one? I don't have one. Oh. I have a million. Oh, wow. <laughs> Give me a couple. Give me a couple. I think depending on who I'm talking to and what scenario, um, I'm pretty good at, at throwing a quote out there. But let's go with a couple. I think um, one of my favorites is is a Tony Robbins one, of course. Yep. Uh, I'm not sure if it's his, but he says it a lot. But the gift of living is giving. Now, it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, but again, if you listen to his podcast, you get into all the things that he and other th- these other podcasters talk about, that life is is not a self-centered thing. It's all about experiencing things with others. And as a parent yourself, I think obviously you'd be the first to say that when you do something with your child, obviously they're the most happiest things in the world and the reward you get from that is probably through the roof. I'm yep. not a parent myself. <laughs> yep. No, you're very intuitive um, though. But trying to give an example of what it's like, and I think that's that's a really really good one to live by. I think the gift of living is giving. I think that's that's a really good one. Oh, I like that. Um, I do like that. I'm going to write that down. Yeah, it's a good one. I'll give it to you later on. <laughs> Another one um, would be don't let making a living prevent you from making a life. Ooh. So, again, it's a humble one, and it's more about the experiences of what we're doing out there rather than you know focusing too far one direction. Um, we're doing this for for a bit of fun, aren't we? 
So yeah, like the meaning of life, I guess. So bringing back to balance to the people that you care about and the, the things that really matter to you and Definitely. service at the same time. That's wow. it. And look, the industries you and I are in, everything we do is giving, right? We're doing yep. it for a bigger purpose. I like to think so anyway. No, totally. I'm always thinking about <laughs> how can I give more? What can I do to give more? What What's the next thing? Exactly right. And the satisfaction you get from that is the reward in itself. So it does go around and around and around. <laughs> Beautiful, Justin. It has been such a pleasure speaking with you today. So we're speaking to Justin Fellows, all-round good guy, my therapist and fitness expert. So thank you, Justin. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And we're on Good Health Radio. You're with Kylie Roger and we'll be back after this break.